Okay, guys, we're in lesson 19. We've got one more lesson after this. We're, we've made our way through 1 John. And the reason why we're lumping in the other two letters is because they're very brief letters. Uh, what you're going to see here in uh, 2 John, it's really only about 13 verses. 3 John is the same amount of verses, but there's a lot of truth here. And so we're going to spend our time today talking about... Uh, the Christian life, because really what John's going to be talking about here is the Christian life. So let me just kind of set the tone for you a little bit, help you understand what's going on here, why this letter, why it was written, when it was written. John is writing his letters. It's about A.D. 85. The church, from the time that Jesus was crucified, resurrected, ascended, Pentecost, the foundation of the church there in Jerusalem, in the very first few decades, up to about A.D. 70, you're really looking at a church that was primarily Jewish. Up till about A.D. 70, the church was primarily Jewish, but as it reached out into what was known as the Roman world, it became... And it brought in, as you can see, first of all, God-fears. Now, who are the God-fears? You know, from the book of Acts, they were the Gentiles who would go to the synagogue and who wanted to know God and worship him, but they wouldn't go the next step and be circumcised. They didn't want to become Jews. But so Paul ministered first to the Jew and then to the Greek, to the Gentile, which was to these God-fears. And, of course, others then came to Christ through that. And so the church was... Pretty much a mixture with primarily Jewish at first. A.D. 70 comes along. Anybody know what happened in A.D. 70? Yeah, Jerusalem is obliterated. It isn't just that the temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was obliterated. It was, I mean, broken down, burnt. They say 1.1 million people were killed alone in the fall of Jerusalem. Think about that. 1.1 million Jews killed in the fall of Jerusalem. The temple is destroyed in such a way that nothing is left of the temple except, and it's to this day, the western wall of the foundation. Okay? And so when you hear people say about Jews praying at the western wall or there was a riot at the western wall, it's because that's what was left. It's the temple mount. So what happens then after that is, is that Basically, the church then makes a shift to where it's primarily Gentile. So, for instance, when you read your epistles, when you read Paul's epistles, he's always talking about Jewish legalists or Jewish or Judaizers, people who are wanting to add to uh, the gospel by saying you have to keep the Mosaic law. Do you realize that when you read it? Okay. When you get to John's epistles, it's a completely different situation. He's no longer talking about false teachers who are trying to get you to obey the Jewish law because the Jews are no longer a strong influence in the church anymore. He's now talking about Greeks, Gentiles, who with whatever their, their, their background, their pagan background is, is that they're coming in with their influences and trying to influence the church. And the basic thing that they were struggling with was the mystery religions and Gnosticism and the denial of Jesus Christ as deity, as Savior. 
They said he was a spirit, but he didn't have flesh. They denied the full humanity and the full deity of Jesus. So they would say, these false teachers would say, Gnosticism would say, that Jesus didn't die on the cross. Because he's a spirit. He didn't die on the cross. So now do you understand why John says what he says? We've handled him, we touched him at the beginning of First John. So again, so this is the context of the letter he's writing here. So you need to understand it. We're not talking about, a, we're talking about a church like us. Okay? People who are coming out of our pagan backgrounds into the church and he's going to tell them some things. So first of all, let's start off. It's, like, it's a basic letter. Letters back then followed a, all letters. In fact, when you look at the Letters in the New Testament, they're very similar to just regular letters from that time period. It starts off, first of all, identifying who the writer is. So let's read it together. He starts off, first one, the elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also those who have known the truth. Because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we've received the commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as those who I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which was that which we have, we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that you have had, have heard from the beginning. You should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that... We do not lose those things we work for, but that we may re- that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I do not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak to you face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. So that's that's the second epistle. Lots of truth there. So let's first of all, the writer. The writer identifies himself as the elder, who we know as John. Okay, so let's stop for a moment. This is AD 85. John is probably, by this point, in his 70s or 80s. Because they, they, most scholars believe that when he was with Jesus, he probably was a youth of about 16 or 18. 16 or 18. So if Jesus died around AD 32, which is commonly held, if this is AD 85, you just add, to what, what is that? Okay, how many years is that? You're talking, what, another, yeah, 50-so years. So he's probably in his late 60s, early 70s, okay? If you take a view that John's a little bit older, he's going to be a lot older than that. But by this point, he's the last 
apostle who's alive. None of the other apostles are alive. Okay? So he's basically, as far as their beliefs, he's the elder. Did you understand what I'm saying? He's the guy. All right? So he's writing a church who he calls elect and her members. Now notice he's writing a lady here. It says, to the elect lady. So a lot of, sometimes folks will take this as he's writing some woman. He's not writing a woman. He's writing a church because of two things. Number one, he talks about her being elect. So she's a chosen lady. The other point I want you to see is why we say she's, she's a church is, is that the church in the New, Test- New Testament is often referred to as a, what? The bride of who? Christ. It's always, the church is always referred to in a feminine sense, okay, as being Christ's bride. So he's writing the elect lady, so this chosen lady, and her children. Now, who are the children? The members, okay? The members. So, okay, if we want to say it this way, we could say if you guys belong to this church, you identify with this church, this is your church, you are the children of this church. Now, we don't use that kind of talking today, do we? But that's really the reality of what's going on here. You are the children of this church. All right? Now, he's going to express something to them. He's going to express that he loves them because truth, because of the truth that abides forever. He's going to love them because of the truth that abides forever. Now, when you look at those two verses, there's a couple of things I want you to notice there. Number one, he, he loves them because of the truth. It's the truth that they have, so they've accepted the gospel. And it's because of the nature of the truth, because the truth abides forever. You understand? So therefore, it's that truth of the gospel that he's, he's loving them for. It's causing him to love them, as well as because they already have the truth. Do you understand? Here's what he's saying. John greets them, again, with a traditional greeting. Look, when you look at verse 3, look at what it says. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. So what he's doing here is, is he, express, he, he greets them with a traditional greeting of grace, mercy, and peace. Now, remember when Paul, in his letters, when he gave the traditional greeting, his is, was very similar to John's, but he, he left out a point. What was Paul's greetings? You need to just turn to one of his letters. Look to about verse 2 or verse 3. Go to any one of Paul's letters, and you'll see the greeting there. He leaves something out of his greeting that John includes in. Yeah, he leaves out mercy because in in Paul's letters he says grace and peace. Here, John, so obviously it's a traditional greeting, but he adds one more point to it, the issue of mercy. So he's expressing to them, you know, this whole issue that they experience grace, that they experience peace, but they also experience mercy. Now, I think that's pretty significant. Why? Because, again, think about who he's writing to. When Paul's writing to to the church, the church is primarily dominated by who? Jews. Jews would view themselves as being uh, accepted by God, okay, God's chosen people. So the issue of mercy was not that a a great, the concept of mercy from God was not that big to a Jew because they, they were God's chosen. Who was it that was left out of the promise? 
who was ready for the fires of hell. Gentiles. So here you see that John's writing a completely different group, and he wants to express the same traditional greeting of grace and peace, but also add into it mercy. Mercy, because that's what's been extended to us. We didn't deserve it. As Gentiles, we had no no claim to it. A Jew could claim it. Do you understand? Because he was a Jew. So we see that here. Now, let's get into the instructions. We're going to see there's an exhortation and a warning. Okay? An exhortation and a warning. Verse 4 through 6 give us the exhortation. First of all, in verse 6, he's going to, he's going to be a proud father here for a moment. Okay? How many of you, when your kids do well, you, you just are overflowing with pride and you just got to tell somebody something? about what your kids are doing. Isn't that, isn't that normal? Hey, you know, my kid did. And, and it's just natural. And when you, you, you don't say like, my kid, my kid's like really doing well in school. I mean, they're a straight A student. You don't say that kind of thing. Or, you know, my kid, yeah, he hit a home run the other day. Wow. You know, you, you know, you're like, wow, you know, my kid, I was at the game and it was really, you know, and you, you really are excited about your children. We, this is the kind of attitude we see here in John. Here's what he's doing. He rejoiced at the testimony of some, that some of her members had. This elder, John, the apostle, obviously had some kind of connection with some folks who belonged to this church. And when he met them, he was excited because it was very evident in their lives that Christ was there. Did you know what I'm saying? They were walking according to the faith. So he was excited at the maturity and their testimony. Did you know what I'm saying? Now, let's stop for a moment. That that gives a... um, That brings up a good point. Do you realize, you know, sometimes, you know, we're, we're into, in our culture, we're into belonging to things. And, you know, like, I belong to this and I belong to that. And we put that on our resumes. We put that in our obituaries that we belong to all these things. And and usually our involvement with things, how we live our lives isn't tied to that group. Have you noticed that? You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, the NRA, how you live your life, if you're an NRA member here, we have some here, okay, Uh your, how you live your life isn't going to reflect on the NRA. Do you, do you, know, do you know what I mean? You know, you're not going to get a letter, hey, we don't appreciate the way that you're acting around town. Do you get those kind of letters from the NRA? No, it's usually, hey, we need 20 bucks, okay? All right? So, all right. Church is completely different, though, because church, it's a family. And how you live your life, and when people come in contact with you, and especially if you say to them, well, I go to such and such, I go to Kerwinsville Christian Church, how you are in the community and how you are with people reflects on the church. Do you know what I'm saying? And the closest concept I have to that is think about your families in a community. Like in our community, we're very family-oriented. We have families that are long-established, been around, okay? If one member of the family doesn't do right, does that that reflects on the rest of the family, doesn't it? Doesn't it? I mean, it shouldn't, okay? Shouldn't, but it does. 
So what we see here is a positive example here. So why am I bringing that up to you? Think about how you're living your life. Because whether you know it or not, if people know you're attached here, it reflects on us all. Here, John is rejoicing that he found some of their members and they were living according to the truth and he was excited about it. Okay? He was excited about it. Let's go on. He's going to give them a commandment. And it's the same old commandment. We saw it in the first letter. John reminds the church concerning the commandment to love each other. All right, well, stop for a moment. Wow. All right, here's another letter that we have. I'm sure he's written many other letters that we don't have. He keeps bringing up the same commandment. And that commandment is what? That we what? Love each other. And we're not talking the lip service kind of love. Like, oh, I love you. You know, we're not going to do that. You know, that it's more than that. Love is expressed in action in the Scripture, in the New Testament. Do you understand what I'm saying? Love is more than lip service. And so we're commanded to love each other. So that's the point he's bringing out here. And he's going to talk about the nature of love. So I'm going to express that love, but here's the kind of love he's really talking about. Love is expressed in obeying the commandment. So love is expressed in doing what Jesus tells me to do. And what does he tell me to do? Love you. Now, I'll be honest with you. Let's just be honest with each other. Some of us ain't lovable. And on certain days, some of us others aren't lovable. Do you know what I mean? It's a stretch to do what he's telling us to do, isn't it? I mean, he's telling us to love each other, and when you have this many, a group of this many people with this many different perspectives and this many different family backgrounds and this many different educational levels and, and this many different political influences and this many different sports loyalties and, 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 you know, and all of these different things, think about it for a moment. You're going to rub each other wrong. I mean, think about it for a moment. Isn't that true? Like, okay, how many of you remember when you first got married, you came from the way your family did it, and you married your spouse, and they came from the way their family did it, and then you uh, got together and tried to do it your way, but your thinking is the way my family did it, right? You remember? Like, I remember Lori and I joke about this all the time now. She likes to tell this story. I'll tell it to you. We, uh, when we first got married, she made tuna noodle casserole that I turned my nose up at, okay? Now, I love tuna noodle casserole, but she, she didn't make it the way my mama made it, okay? And I, and I even made the stupid mistake I've learned since then. This is 20 years ago now, so I've matured, okay? I even made the mistake of saying to her, well, why don't you talk to my mom about, about that, okay? And find out from her, you know, because, yes, and she was, and she did, and, and here's what, and the reason why is because she had these onions in there, and I'm not into onions, okay, okay, all right, so she, we go down to visit my mom for something, and I, unbeknownst to me, so Lori says, hey, can you tell me how you make tuna noodle casserole? Because this is the way I'm making it, and I'm putting onions in, and George doesn't like those onions, and my mom says, well, I pureed them. He doesn't know they're in them. 
So, but okay, that's an example of what I'm talking about. When you get people together, you're coming from your background, your way of doing things, the way your clan does it, the way you're thinking, you know, your culture, your whatever. We're going to clash. Right? But here we come to a commandment that the apostle is saying to us, he keeps reminding us about the same commandment. Love each other. This is a commandment from Jesus. In fact, if you want to know what loving God means, it means being obedient to God, and he keeps going back to, how do I need to be obedient to God? Love each other. And they say, well, again, it's impossible, George. Yeah, you only can do it through God. It's the Holy Spirit through you that allows you to love people in spite of them. Do you know what I mean? It's the Holy Spirit through you that allows you to be able to love people. Because people, I can be a jerk. You can be a jerk. Do you understand what I'm saying? Depending on the day, we can all be jerks. Do you you understand what I'm saying? Like if you did not sleep well last night, you know, and, and something went wrong and you were up, you're a bear this morning, but you felt you needed to be here, but watch out. Do you know what I mean? Or you've had a rough week, and somebody comes in all happy, and you're like, I just want to smash the... you know what I mean? Watch out. you got to say, Jesus, help me to do what you're telling me to do. To love them. To love them. Why, why is that so important? Go back to what John wrote in his gospel that Jesus said. By this shall they know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. So let's go back. Isn't it interesting? Right in the context of these verses of him reiterating this command, right before that he says, I am so excited. I rejoice because I saw some of your children. And I see that they're walking. What did he probably see from them? Their love for each other. Their love for each other. So let's go on then. He's going to talk about the warning here now. And this is something you and I need to be aware of. Okay? Here's the warning. They must recognize that there are many deceivers who deny Christ. Hey, here's the reality. Can, can I just... you got to be careful... Just because some guy is on the Christian TV station doesn't mean he's good. It just meant that he could buy the airtime. Did you understand what I'm saying? And there are people on there who are denying Jesus. What do you mean denying Jesus? Well, there are folks who are on the radio that are denying things about Jesus Christ that you need to be aware of. Like, you know, when somebody says to you they don't need to talk about sin... What do you mean you don't need to talk about sin? Because that makes people feel bad about themselves? Well, you know, how how are they going to know that they need Jesus without feeling bad about their sin? Do you know what I'm saying? Because it's our sin that put them on the cross. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, And I get distressed sometimes because on Facebook, I'll see people and they'll share some quote from some preacher and I'm thinking, Why are they even listening to that guy? He's a snake in the grass. 
Do you know what I mean? Why are you even quoting him? What you're doing is, is you're telling me the level of ignorance that's in your life that you're not aware, that you're not even taking seriously what the apostle's telling us to do is beware. All right, let me just stop for a moment. That includes me. Now, just because I've been here 12 years and you sit under my teaching week after week does not mean that I could go off the deep end. Do you know what I mean? If I'm not walking close to Jesus and studying the Word of God, I could suddenly come in and shift the teaching to where the focus becomes me. And the sad thing is, is that most people won't even recognize it and they'll go along with it. That's how subtle it is. See, over and over and over in the Scripture, this is just one more epistle. Most of the New Testament is going to warn you to think about who you're listening to. What are they teaching? You become a man and woman of the Word of God. You examine everything that's being taught. And you decide, this is scriptural, this is not scriptural. He's wrong here, he's right here. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Because it's so easy to be deceived. And that, to me, you know what, the greatest threat to the church is not what happens outside the church. The greatest threat to the church and the doctrinal purity of the church is what happens suddenly within the church. Did you know what I'm saying? You, you write that down. The greatest threat to the church is not what happens outside the church. I don't care what happens to the culture. The greatest threat to the church is what happens suddenly within the church. You and I need to grasp that reality. So pay attention to who you're listening to. Pay attention. He goes on then. He says this. So this is where he brings up the next point, which is, I think, a very good point, closely related. Verse 8, they must watch over their own lives so that they'll be rewarded. So you've got to pay attention to your own life. You've got to pay attention to your own life. One of the ways, we've got some folks here that work in the bank. Let me ask my banking people here. How can you identify a counterfeit bill? How do you know it's counterfeit? I know it's getting harder every time, but because you deal with what? The real stuff all the time. Because you deal with the real stuff all the time, you're able to distinguish when something's not right with a bill. Did you understand what I'm saying? Here's the thing. How can you tell when there's something that's being said that's not right, that you're being taught something that's not right? How can you be on guard against that? Yeah, you gotta be in the Word. You gotta be a man and woman of the Word of God. You gotta know the Word of God yourself. You gotta study it. You gotta read it. You gotta be asking the Holy Spirit, you know what? Hey, this is what George taught today, Lord. I don't know, I'm kinda unsettled about it. Is it from you? Or you may be trying to tell me something, or is there something wrong with it? And you look at the scripture, you do like what in Acts says the Bereans did when they listened to Paul. They went and studied the scriptures for themselves to see if what he was saying was true. You've got to study it yourself. 
I mean, it can't be a dust collector on your shelf. Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? It, it's you've got to you've got to watch over your own life. You've got to you've got to watch over because one day you're going to be rewarded. And it goes beyond just knowing the scripture. It goes to talking about you've got to watch over your life to know how you're living it. How are you living your life now? It goes back to that issue of the testimony. How are you living your life? Because ultimately you're going to be rewarded based upon how you're living your life now. So let me just stop for a moment. This is, this is a good point here. Listen to me. It is not about, salvation is not just about that you're going to be in paradise and woo, I'm okay, I'm safe from my sins, I'm going to be okay in heaven, I'm not in hell. Woo! It's not about that. It's a lot more than that. The first thing that's going to happen is, is you appear before Jesus and it's going to be, how did you live your life? Yeah, you're saved, but the reward that you'll receive will be based upon how you live your life here. Did you understand? So here matters. Did you understand what I'm saying? How you live your life here matters. So you need to, he's saying, watch over your lives. But Because here's the problem. I know how it is. I do the same thing. We just kind of float. You know what I'm saying? We kind of float through life like, okay, it's church today. At 12 o'clock when it comes around, it's going to be lunch. And it's lunch either at home or wherever you do lunch. You're going to take your afternoon nap. Maybe not. I do. And, and uh, you know, and you're going to, you know, we've got the Sunday evening. And tomorrow it's get up and go to work. You either got the coffee pot set to come on or you're hitting sheets at a certain time to get your coffee. And then you're at work. And, you know what I'm saying? And then you're home. And, and you've got, and it's the Tuesday, and before you know it, it's Sunday again, and it's Monday again, and it's just like you're floating along, doing whatever, and you give no thought whatsoever to how you live your lives. You need to watch after your life, is what he's saying here. Watch after your life. So be warned by that. Here's the contrast. Why? He's going to give us a contrast why it's so important that we understand that. Those who continue to sin... Now, we're not talking about you sinning. You're going to sin. We already know that. John's already told us that in another epistle. He's talking about those who are in a continuous habit of sinning, practicing sin, couldn't care less, they're just going to do it. Those who continue to sin, and they leave the faith. It's like, adios. They're not saved. Be warned. Some of us, we, we say things out of ignorance that we're going to be shocked one day. What do you mean, George? You often hear people say, well, they're so-and-so, they're not living right, but I remember when they walked the aisle at the church. Or I remember when their grandma told me that they prayed that prayer, but they're living like hell right now, and have been for the last 15, 20, or 5 years. If they're not living consistent with what it is to, of someone who knows Jesus Christ, there's a question about whether or not they are saved. Did you understand what I'm saying? I mean, I hear people saying that so-and-so saved, and you go talk to so-and-so, and so-and-so couldn't care less about Jesus. But they're constantly being told they're okay. It's not right. We're the ones who are deceived. We need to quit deceiving ourselves, therefore deceiving others. So he goes on, he contrasts that, here's what. Those who continue in faith 
have a relationship with God. Look, if you keep progressing on, you keep walking with Him, you've got a relationship with Him. It says you know who? God the Father and you know God the Son. You know the Son. Okay? Let's go on now. He's going to tell you one other thing here that you and I need to be aware of. We must not appear to support any who deny the faith. Now, he's going to give it in his cultural context. I'm going to explain it to you in in the cultural context here, because some people have taken this verse as a justification for slamming the door on a Jehovah Witness when they come to your door. Because you don't want to be seen as supporting the Jehovah Witnesses, so you're not even going to greet them. Let me give you the context here. Look at what it says. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. What's going on here is back in their day, it's a little bit different than our day. Okay, so like if I come to your door, let's say I'm uh, a traveling, uh, what is that vacuum cleaner? Uh, No, Kirby. Let's say I'm a Kirby guy, okay? And and I've got a cast iron shoe on with my foot because I stick it in the door, you know. Okay, all right. Let's say I'm a Kirby guy and I come to your house. Hey, hey, I want to, hey, want to talk to you about a new product. What's your response going to be? I don't need one. I got a good, you know. Are you going to invite me in the house? Give me a cup of coffee. Maybe make sure that I have something to eat. Find out. Tell me a little bit about your family history. Tell me what's going on in your life. Are you going to do that? That was the culture back then. If a guest came to your house, it was a taboo, a social taboo, no matter who they were, for you not to invite them into your home, put them in the best seat, feed them, give them something to eat, and and honor them. And even insist that they stay at your house for the evening. Okay, if you want an example of that, look at how Lot is with the messengers, with the angels who come to Sodom. That was the culture. In fact, can I be honest with you folks, that is still the culture in most of the world. Not the civilized world, not the Western world. You're not going to see that in Europe. You're not going to see that in North America. You're going to see that in Africa and the Middle East. You've got to understand the cultural context. When John's talking about receiving them and greeting them, he's talking about the traditions of the hospitality, where their place becomes like their operations center. That's where they go out from. Did you understand to do what they're going to do? So he, so you understand that. He's saying here, not that you're not supposed to say hi to them. Get off of my voice, I can't even talk to you. No, no, it's not that. It's not that you have any appearance of supporting what they're doing. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the context here. That you're not supporting what they're doing. So here's the thing. We must not appear to support any who deny the faith. Did you know what I'm saying? We must not appear to support any who deny the faith. So what does that? how does that appear in our culture today? Well, I just talked about Facebook. Can I be honest with you? If you've got a question in your mind or if you've got a pause in your spirit about who the guy is that's making the statement, don't repost it. Don't share it. 
Because what it looks like is you're condoning, you're in agreement with what you're putting on your Facebook page. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's just another example. Don't go around quoting some guy that you, 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 you understand what I'm saying? You've got to question your mind about who they are and what they believe as far as their, their trust in Jesus. You don't want to be seen as supporting them. That's the whole issue here. So I'm supposed to beware of them, he tells us a little bit earlier. I'm supposed to watch over my own life, but I'm also now, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to not even allow myself to be seen as condoning or supporting somebody who's not right. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, I mean, yeah, so you can talk to the Jehovah Witness. I would encourage you to. Somebody needs to tell them about Jesus. Okay? But... Don't be seen as supporting them, supporting someone who denies the faith. Okay? So then he goes on to the conclusion. John wishes he could tell them more, but he wants to do so in person. So that's we're going to close up the letter here. John wishes he could tell them more, but he wants to do it in person. So here's the other one. John brings greetings from another church. This is how we know the lady is another church. Because he says, I bring greetings to you from your sister. Your fellow sister. This is a church. I mean, unless, by chance, I think the odds are against it, he's riding from a town and this gal's sister is right there with him. You know what I'm saying? Oh, tell my sister I said hi. No, that's not true. It's another church. Another church. Okay, any questions? We've